Podcasts. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, like I said at the top, not the best Sunday. I don't know if actually if even been worse Sundays I've witnessed, but we are here to break it all down. We're through seven weeks. A lot of teams have seven games. We should know everything about them. Let's lay it out for the people. How you doing? I'm doing pretty bad. Last night, USC got <laughs> smacked by Notre Dame. So it's just it's a that. whole entire weekend of bad football, not just Sunday. Yeah, well, Villa got smacked 3-1 to one by Arsenal, who are an abomination of a football club at this point. So it's just a bad Sunday all around. But let's start off with one positive, Hayden Winks. We need, and we, we outlined this in our preview show, so much talk about Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. How they went into week seven, five and one, Lamar's MVP hype. So much attention was paid to them that we didn't ask ourselves, well, what if the four and two Bengals, who I think were seven and a half, six and a half point underdogs in this game, go on the road and beat Baltimore? Well, that's exactly what they did 41 to 17. Not even a close contest here. And yes, that brings your Cincinnati Bengals to five and two this season. And Hayden, I I want to outline this because the Bengals, we hear about touchdowns all the time, have like 70% of them are scored inside the red zone and inside the 20-yard line. The five touchdowns they scored today, 55 yards, 32 yards, 82 yards, 21 yards, and 46 yards. Everything is running hot here for Zach Taylor, for Joe Burrow, for Jamar Chase. We'll dive into each of those elements. But I do want to start off with this statement, that this is the 16th game that Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow have together. They now fully have a season. And I think we finally can answer the question, who is Zach Taylor as a head coach? And it's here with the 5-2 and two Cincinnati Bengals. So who is Zach Taylor? What is like the system? So today it looks like, just looking at the, the box score, 38 pass attempts, 24 carries. And that is despite being leading the entire time. And going into this week, they were very close to the bottom in pace and pass rates. So that's pretty interesting that against an aggressive defense, the Bengals say, screw it, we'll get even more aggressive than usual. And that's where you're getting all these big plays and stuff. To me, the biggest takeaway is just, I mean, Jamar Chase, this is getting ridiculous. Coming into the into this game, when he had 8-201-1, and one, he was already at the very top of my expected fantasy points model and production over expected, dominating EPA per target. And everything it, about him, it's just the releases off the line of scrimmage are yep. nasty. And some of the concerns about his length and some of these other, the drops and all that stuff, it doesn't matter at all if he's going to be winning off the line of scrimmage like this. And we know he has the athleticism to make a guy miss like you're showing here and then win a foot race to the edge. So we're talking about a very complete football player really early. And this is just like, if you look at the last couple of years here, how lucky we have been in fantasy football with how much young wide receiver guys we have out there. And I mean, Jamar Chase is like right at the top of this list. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase coming out red hot. So Jamar Chase is now showing a complete game. And I think out of LSU, so much of his game was built on like the vertical ability and winning down the field and a lot of contested catches. One, I think his body control has absolutely translated. And we know what the Ravens love to do is show a lot of pressure packages up front with a bunch of, you know, movable, almost amoeba fronts, and then ask their cornerbacks to win in isolation. Well, they rotated. They put like Jimmy Smith, they put Marlon Humphrey, they put whoever, Anthony Averett on Jamar Chase. And it didn't matter who was up there because Jamar Chase could win that one-on-one matchup. What we have added now with Jamar Chase, I'm going to bring up this 82-yard touchdown again because, Hayden, it was just a simple five-yard slant pattern with Marlon Humphrey on him, three broken tackles, like fully arm on him, and yet he's able to turn it into an 82-yard touchdown. That was the type of talent that I didn't necessarily expect out of Jamar Chase because we've seen so many of these downfield plays be successful, but that his game is growing along with his rookie season while it was still running hot at the front, yet we're getting these new added elements into it just speaks to the type of talent that he is. Now, I do want to highlight a few things because we have talked about the lack of passing ability with the Bengals in terms of the passing volume, but Jamar Chase is getting home no matter what because he's a special talent. T. Higgins, seven catches, 62 yards. Tyler Boyd, four catches, 39 yards. So in some ways, 
that still here is effect because with T Higgins, he was also left in one-on-one situations, but the talent gap and like the difference between the two, it's sizable because he was asked to win this contested catches so often he would go up too early or miss time it or not bring it down in 50, 50 stuff. That's not even a question now with chase. And it still is with Higgins, but like, does that matter? I mean, it clearly doesn't because they're five and two. T T Higgins, I thought was like a prototypical number two receiver coming out. And I think that a very good number two receiver, but you see the difference between T Higgins and Jamar chase that afterburner. That's just what T Higgins does not have. T Higgins does usually come down with a lot of those contested catches and his rookie season was promising, but you just see like the difference. The Jamar Chase promising rookie season looks a whole lot different oh, yeah. than the T. Higgins one. It is interesting, though, how little production Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins are giving the Bengals. And it's just like basically like not even just this game, all of their games. It's just Jamar Chase. Everyone else is not doing anything. So that's a lot of pressure on Jamar Chase. Um, but I'm very curious to see if the Bengals are going to say, OK, this was our statement win. Like the first statement win the Bengals had basically in a decade. Right. on the road, in the division against the Red Hot Ravens and against a man-heavy team, if they are going to say, okay, Joe Burrow feels a little more confident, we know what we have in Jamar Chase, now it's time to take the training wheels off this offense, play with more pace, put more yep. pressure on the opposing defenses, and let instead of letting Joe Burrow just say, all right, one, two, check down, one, two, check down, pre-snap read, throw it to the, to the slot receiver. If we can get more of this, that's where like the fantasy ceiling, that's where the Bengals ceiling comes out. This is a huge, huge, huge win. I think Joe Burrow gave Zach Taylor a little bit more of that confidence to do that today because even on the first drive that they had, there was he was immediately pressured on the first snap, spun away, threw it out of bounds, was able to escape, and then later on juked Jason Owe, excuse me, Odafe Owe, um, who is one of the more athletic edge rushers and not the most athletic edge rusher yeah. in the NFL on third down and then dumped it off to Samaj P. Ryan. In fact, Justin Houston was having his way with Jonah Williams at the left tackle position, constant pressure over and over and over again. But Joe Burrow, it didn't matter if it was under duress. It didn't matter if he kind of had to buy some, some space. And it's never, it's never going to look like some of the, the most mobile quarterbacks out there. But his processing is, is getting it done and then having just a ludicrous you know, wide receiver on the outside. And to your point, while it can be viewed as a negative, and I'm kind of you know projecting it as a negative with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd just a little bit, it also might be viewed as a positive where this team's already five and two. And as you're alluding to, if they do pass the ball more, these are still you know above average, if not good talents. And that might just show you like they're still in an even higher ceiling that they haven't reached yet. When you've seen so many teams across the league reach their ceiling already. I saw a couple of runs from Joe Mixon that just like kind of solidified my stance of him being a like legit top five NFL running back as well. So it's you have T Higgins in the role that he's supposed to have Tyler Boyd in the role he's supposed to have. And then Jamar chase, just kind of like that missing ingredient, what AJ green was not bringing to the table. That's what they're getting. So it's, it's a very complete offense, especially if this was a win that just gets them going with just pace pass rate, all the fun stuff that we were expecting during the season and now that's already almost into November. Maybe this was just the, the two months that they needed to let, let let this offense rip. Yeah. So we talk about the trio all the time of Chase, T, and Tyler Boyd. Why don't we bring up CJ Uzoma here? Because what we've seen in the last two weeks, I, I, I'm, that's you know tongue-in-cheek saying that. But one, we saw what CJ Uzoma did to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And when I first saw this play on screen, his, I think it was the, 82-yard touchdown. No, it wasn't the 82. It was a 55-yard touchdown, excuse me. I was like, oh, this is a broken play. No, look who's in his hip pocket the entire time you create separation from. That's Marlon freaking Humphrey, one of the best corners in the NFL. It's a clear one-on-one route. He stems to the outside, forces Humphrey to take two or three steps, then breaks on his route to the inside, a perfectly thrown ball in stride, and then wins after the catch as well for C.J. Ozoma. He had another touchdown later on in this game, I believe. I mean, to the point that Joe Burrow is able to just complete 23 passes for 416 yards. That shows you the explosive element of this team. And then you throw in here or there another playmaker on top of the one isolated one. Dare I say, Hayden, that that's kind of the formula that the Green Bay Packers have had as of late. Now, not going to say in the fourth quarter which quarterback do I you know expect to 
you know, make that play that is, you know, game defining. But this formula of having one superstar that no one can cover and then a bunch of talents around him that can make specialized plays, that's something to consider too. Yeah, another huge win. The Bengals, this is from Next Gen Stats. Bengals generated a pressure on 49% of dropbacks. That's the highest this Bengals team has had in the last two seasons. And they're dealing with this like, not like no namers, but like close to no namers. And that's that's how they got it done to do. So it wasn't just the 41 points on offense. Like that was like the storyline, but they also held Lamar Jackson to 17. Trey Hendrickson. I mean, Trey yeah. Hendrickson is honestly at times the individual force on the outside hunting down and chasing down opposing quarterbacks. And they get other people making plays too, like Jadobi Wuzier was making some plays. Larry Ogunjobi was making some plays. Now I do feel like this was the period where we saw the weaknesses in the Ravens backfield hit home because there was early on a handoff to Le'Veon Bell. And rather than even get positive yardage and there's open space there, Le'Veon turns it into like a third and 10 situation after like a second and five stop. So like a loss of five yards immediately puts you in a much more negative situation. We even saw Tyson Williams get touches before Devontae Freeman, which was wholly unexpected. But yeah, Lamar went out there 15 of 31, 257, one touchdown, had another 88 yards on the ground. And then the next closest running back was Devontae Freeman with 14. So while we can talk about these things, this almost was a complete an attempt to have a total individual effort by Lamar Jackson. Yeah, this is as run or pass heavy as you'll see them get. So this is pretty pretty cool uh to see for the Bengals to do this, but I'm sure Lamar Jackson's going to bounce back. Of note, these two teams, the Bengals extremely healthy, the Ravens extremely unhealthy. Right. That's just a minor subplot. That's just in the footnotes here. Um but yeah, hopefully the Ravens can bounce back. But quickly, before we move on, this was still a dime from Lamar to Marquise Brown. Look, I mean, there is no movement from this too high safety stuff. Like the whole side of the field is Marquise Brown basically versus two people. And Lamar Jackson threw him open into like the final two steps at the back of the end zone. So that magic is, is obviously still there. To More of this is of a statement to me that the Bengals have absolutely arrived. And I, I want someone out there that's much better at football analysis than me to go out there and like explain how, one, the Bengals' offensive line is operating, why it's working, and two, why their defense is playing at a high level too without like one name-brand player. Like I saw Logan Wilson close in a hurry, and we know for decades that their linebackers have been a, the slowest among the NFL. Well, now they have one who can get out to the edge and chase down people. And obviously Jesse Bates, we talked about him and a few other pieces. So I, I really want to read that this weekend because again, they were top five in defensive DVOA and they're playing like it right now for sure. Well, remember the offensive line coach, this is the same one that they had uh, two or three seasons ago when it was Joe right. Mixon's best year. Remember last year's head coach, where is he coaching that right now, Josh? Texas State. Texas State as an assistant head or assistant <laughs> offensive line coach. So yeah, that's that probably that little upgrade probably is helping this offense gel a little bit too. Let's jump to one of your games. Why don't we go with the one that was supposed to be a total of 57 and a half today? The Tennessee Titans destroy at home the Kansas City Chiefs 27 to 3. Hayden, the Chiefs didn't put up points until the third quarter, and it was only a field goal today. What the hell went wrong? Yeah, the fewest points, three in the Mahomes era, and he left late in the game with what looked like a concussion. He cleared concussion protocol, but he didn't return after that. I think on the offense, like the biggest thing is it's very clear that Patrick Mahomes is pressing himself. And that's kind of what we were seeing with the turnovers in the previous games. And it looks like he's escaping the pocket a ton. And that's where you see some of these fumbles, some of these tipped interceptions. And I think some of the problem is like Orlando Brown is getting beat off the edge a little bit more than you would expect. And it's kind of just, it's a, it might be a just a poor fit for Orlando Brown, who's who was a run blocking right tackle. Now you're asking him to protect Patrick Mahomes' uh, blind side. And we never really talk about any of Patrick Mahomes' flaws, but he does love to run out of the backside of the pocket a ton. And that's where he gets all these explosive plays. So it's not even a bad thing. But when you pair that with uh, an offensive tackle that does tend to get beat on the outside because he's a little bit on the slower side, that's where you get some of these issues. So it was a bad game for Patrick Mahomes. Um, it was a even worse game for the Chiefs' uh, defense. I mean, they can't stop anybody. We're talking about Ryan Tannehill, 97th percentile uh, expected points added, 95th percentile 
completion percentage over expected. They kind of stopped Derrick Henry, but at the expense of letting AJ Brown go absolutely nuclear on only 60% of the snaps too. So this was just a complete schlacking on both sides of the ball. And I think that a lot of the concerns, it's just like player number nine through 53 on the chiefs right now. Isn't it just not very good. They're super top heavy, but the rest of the lineup is just, it's not, it's not acceptable right now. And they're turning the football over more often than they have ever in the past. So the Titans scored on every single one of their first half possessions. I mean, it went touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal. And I was witnessing this as well because, you know, a lot of people, there were over-unders out there of like 140 rushing yards for Derrick Henry. On our site, it was 123 rushing yards for Derrick Henry. I mean, 29 carries for 86 yards. Then they had two catches for 16 yards. So this wasn't just a vintage, oh, we're going to run you over with the best back in the NFL in the area that you're weakest, right? It was a... Brian Tannehill, I'm going to pass the football and yeah. create big plays with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and Michael Pruitt, so on and so forth. So it truly is a pass-to-lead, run-to-win formula as you go along. Yeah, it, it can go either way. In this game, there was a lot of good field possession for the Titans because of some of those turnovers. And then yeah. late in the game, because it, they went into the half up 27-0, to zero, they weren't asking. There wasn't like designing the Derrick Henry 60-yard runs. And like the Chiefs were putting eight, nine guys in the box. That's why you didn't see like the crazy box score because it was all it was literally 27 to zero going at halftime. Um, so they weren't threatened at all. And the Tennessee sideline was pumped. You can tell how m- much of a uh, big-time win this was. And for the Chiefs, it's, yeah, they got to get their stuff together extremely quick. Um, I saw Tyreek Hill getting a little work done on the sideline too. But this is just – a. I think this is a defense problem that's starting to leak into the offense because the offense is feeling mm. some of that pressure. I think that explains some of the, the Patrick Mahomes issues. We've always suggested, though, this season that the Chiefs defense is an issue. Is it now an offense can be the issue, too, because they're pressing so much or no? I know that like they are number yeah. one in EPA. They're number one for points per play and per drive and all that kind of stuff. But when you get to this, Hayden, you put up three points in a game that is expected to have 57 and a half total. Yeah, I mean, this was things happen. Like that's what that's what I'm I kind of feel like I'm just asking questions here. Yeah. And I'm gonna review it this week. I kind of feel like all season long with the Chiefs, we just shrugged our shoulders and say, Oh, things happen. And things have happened all the way to three and four this year. Yeah, but that, they're still like leading the league in like points and stuff. Like that's like the thing. It's just it's a couple <laughs> it's a couple turnovers. Like I know a huge deal in this game, but this was a road game and things things could happen. Things are weird. I don't think the Chiefs are like they shouldn't be anywhere near like the AFC favorites anymore. That's for sure. The defense is that bad, and there are some issues with like how the offensive line is gelling with Patrick Mahomes, and you are still banking on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey Kelsey staying healthy. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I want to be, if Patrick Mahomes has 350 yards and three touchdowns next week, I'm not going to be like, yep. Well, obviously, th- I mean, that should happen because it's against the giants. So like, yes, there you go. So four and four is there. Then the stretch after those games, Hayden, the Packers, the Raiders and the Cowboys, yeah. like that it's getting to a point where I, I can't tell you like the major differences between this team and last year's team other than the turnovers. Cause like we even talk about it with defenses each and every year, especially with the Chiefs, like, oh, they figure it out once they get to the playoffs. But the turnovers are totally different. And in some ways, Hayden, they're almost like going to the Jameis Winston side of the spectrum right now for, for Patrick Mahomes in terms yeah, some of... Some of them are bad. Careless. They're careless. Some of them are bad. And I think that's why it, he's pressing. It's because of the defense. By the way, though, this is... There's three wild card spots uh, you got to assume the Ravens, Browns, and Bengals, two of them are going to the one of those teams. Then it's like the Patriots or the Colts, or is it the Raiders or the Chargers? Like, mm. you know, like there's still a path. I think that they can easily sneak in as the seventh seed, even if it's pretty painful to get there. AJ Brown, eight catches, 133 yards, one score. We saw him last week get back in the, on the field. So many of his patterns were over the middle of the field last week. Hayden, is he fully back? Because I see two vertical routes along the left side that make it seem like he is 100% and going to hit as we go along the season. Yeah, he said he lost weight because of the Chipotle, but and he only played 60% of the snaps here. That's the first. No one else has ever said that before. I know, I know. I wish I could say the same. Uh, But 
yeah, when he's on the field, he was just smoking these guys. And the Chiefs have the Chiefs literally have no answers on any point. There's not there's not any good players anywhere on the offense right now or on the defense. Like you can right. throw or run it on them. It's it's really bad. Let's go to the New England Patriots putting up 54 points against the New York Jets. The Patriots improved to three and four. And we know the Jets are one and five, and they have lost their quarterback to a PCL injury. I believe I've seen reports of that being anywhere from two to four weeks, how this happened. And we'll start with this, and then we'll go over to the Patriots end of this conversation. Hayden, um, he scrambled out to the right, was trying to throw it out, out of bounds, kind of drifting to the sideline, and got hit on his left knee. Then two plays later, gets tackled from behind after the ball is out by Matthew Judon and like his leg completely collapses. Then he's helped off in the field and like slowly, slowly makes his way to the locker room. Uh, But even before then, Hayden, it's exactly what we talk about with Zach Wilson, that there was nothing inside of structure. He's just simply not an in-pocket quarterback. He starts with a three and out. He ends up going 20 of 32. No, excuse me. That was Mike White. Six of 10. 51 yards, and that's it. I mean, obviously, he didn't play very long left in the middle, I believe, of the second quarter. Um, that was after coming out of a bye week. That was supposed to be like your hard reset. Everything slows down for your rookies, and it didn't seem to slow down for Zach Wilson. And that's a tough, tough contest against Bill Belichick in assignment, but that's what happens when you're facing him and Sean McDermott and so on and so forth all these times during his rookie season. Anything you want to say about that before I jump to the Patriots? Yes. Michael Carter graduated from the post by rookie bump. I'm seeing eight receptions on nine targets and he led the team with 11 carries. Ty Johnson uh, was not as involved here. So obviously the blowout helps with that stuff, but this is maybe a step for Michael Carter. But with that said, none of this is going to matter if this freaking white guy, uh, <laughs> Mike White is his name. Mike yes. White, also a white guy. If he can play or not, how did he look? Uh, he plays inside the pocket, which is a departure from what the Jets have seen all season long. I mean, truly, he'll sit there and he can't move. He doesn't want to throw deep, but he threw immediately threw a touchdown to Corey Davis, and Corey Davis made an amazing catch. Then they immediately tried to get, like you talked about, Michael Carter more involved in the short passing game on, on dump offs. Now it was a complete blowout. Like, don't get me wrong. This, yeah. These were not neutral game scripts at all. And then they got Elijah Moore a little bit more involved. Elijah Moore had a 19 yard reverse for a touchdown. Um, but that's, I don't know how much we can take from it. And Robert Sala's defense is collapsing in front of our eyes. They've got, they've got nobody like, right. yeah, they got nobody. Uh, okay. Let's jump to the Patriots offense. Cause now everyone Get on the train. Mac Jones, at worst, is a top two rookie quarterback in the NFL today. 24 of 36, 307, and two scores. Overall, though, Hayden, I was most impressed with the Patriots and finally being able to execute their vision because we talked about it heading into the offseason and heading into the regular season that they wanted a defensive line to be dominant. It was like that against the Jets. They wanted their offensive line to be dominant. They're getting healthier. Shaq Mason came back. Maybe Trent Brown will come back in a couple weeks. That allowed Damian Harris in the first half to have eight carries for 82 yards and a score. Yep, eat it up. And then that just continued with giving, you know, protection for Mac Jones and allowing him to hit multiple receivers. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven players caught passes today. 11 different players. And that just shows you what Mac Jones can process pre-snap and post-snap. And we keep bringing up this phrase, but we haven't even hit his bye week yet, correct? And Mac Jones, the game is starting to slow down for him. And Josh McDaniels is starting to feel comfortable with him because Hayden, we saw also a bunch of different misdirection and trick plays as well. And so that shows you that the OC is now having fun with his quarterback as well. And all of the these stats, and like, first of all, they're, like elite level stats for rookie quarterbacks. And I think that everyone's just going to say, oh, he's just dinking and dunking and like all that stuff. We got to remind remind ourselves, this is the, the leading receivers, Brandon Bolden, Kendrick Bourne, John Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, their fullback, Nikhil, Nikhil Harry. Like those, that's who is leading the receivers. He's throwing it to nobodies and he's still doing this. So I think that the question becomes, and it's always just going to be the same question for Mac Jones is, how much can you improve your arm strength? 
Is it just lifting more weights? Is it meeting Nick Rudman in the weight room, hitting more squats, doing some more crunches, and then so he can develop develop his arm? Because if yes, he is going to be really, really good. What he's doing right now is like really impressive to me. Pre-snap, post-snap, there's a couple plays. I think that this Mike Restat is just nails it. He was 11 for 11 for 137 yards on throws between the painted numbers. So right over the middle, he is carving uh, these defenses up. And that's like the hardest uh, part of the field for a lot of these rookies. I just looked at Justin Fields. I don't think he completed a single pass beyond uh, the line of scrimmage over the middle. You see it with Jalen Hurts. A lot of these young quarterbacks, it's harder to see over the middle to do that. That means you're just shredding teams pre-snap. So obviously, like everyone's going to say, like, oh, what can he hit the cover two whole shot? Maybe not right now, but he's also really young still. And I, if he can get a little more development, like just physically, like I think that his ceiling is being underrated by a lot of people out there. Jalen Hurts doesn't even know the middle of the field exists in the passing game. And Mac yep. Jones is out here, like you said, doing 11 of 11 for 137 yards and two touchdowns. What also stood out to me was a true game plan that was executed. We talked about the running game. We'll get to that in a moment. But Johnu Smith was like a featured player on even their first drive. Like three of the opening four plays went to him, basically. Like they wanted to get him involved into this game. So I think it's your – and Jacoby Myers is always there, always yeah. there for him, and that's like the safety blanket. But this shows you exactly what the Patriots wanted to be this year, and he even got to a point, Hayden. I mean, when we just look at the rushing numbers, Damon Harris only had 14 carries for 106 yards and two scores. He easily could have gotten two of the touchdowns that J.J. Taylor scored. If you know the Jets did their half of this equation, he could have gotten you know 20-plus carries and would have had like the running back one overall day potentially, but while some of these teams that we see them across the league are going down in a lot of ways because of injuries, the Patriots offense might be one that is going up, up and up. And do I think that they're a little slow on offense? Yes. Do I think they're slow on defense? Yes. But can they potentially bully and be in the right place at the right time and add some creativity in those? This might be the start of the rest of their season. Again, going three and four right now. I'm sure a lot of people have some questions about Ramondre Stevenson for you and I, it just came down to Ramondre is not trustworthy. He is an explosive runner, and you can see that he's very powerful too, and he does some cool things. But if you can't pass protect and you're not just lining up and hitting the right holes that are designed for you, Bill Belichick is not going to play you. And so right. I think that's what we, we saw here. And if Brandon Bolden, I mean, he had a very good game in the box score here. Huge. I don't see why they would, wouldn't go back to this. So this is Damian Harris as like a – Boom, bust, RB2. When you get the game scripts going, it's Damian Harris season. When the game scripts are bad, exactly. then it falls out from underneath of them. But I've, I think moving forward, it's Brandon Bolden as James White, Damian Harris as Damian Harris. Nothing else matters. 100%. I was going to lay it out perfectly there because Brandon Bolden owns the passing down role. He is trusted in pass protection. And his touchdown, it was actually a play action to someone else or at least motion or action with someone else and allows him to drift out in the backfield. And there he goes for, I believe it was a 28-yard Score So that was designed for him, but that's because he is out there in those roles. And, you know, when I see it on Twitter, like I post positive things about Damian Harris or a Patriots running back, someone says, well, how can you trust it? Well, in a game that we expect them to be favored here and, and win, we expect Damian Harris to do really, really well. Will I ever sit back and think there's going to be one back on the Patriots that's going to dominate and get 20 carries or 20 touches and own the backfield? No, that is not how they operate. But I think now, more than we have at any point this entire season since James White went down, we know the backfield. Yeah. We know it. It's Damian Harris carrying the ball, and man, they were gashes. Man, they were lanes today, and he's running hard. And then, like you mentioned, Brandon Bolden in the passing game. And if it's defined, then we can only bet on ourselves to predict the outcome and the flow of the game, and then we go on from there. Yep. Fair. Love to see it. Your other game – was it Atlanta or Miami or Washington and Green Bay? I had Atlanta, Miami. Go ahead. Big one here. So let's start with the Falcons because we have a big discussion with Miami after this. But we saw Mike Davis basically get phased out of the offense. He was out there. I don't have these snaps in front of me. But 60%. what's very yeah, what's very obvious to me is when Cordell is on the field, they're going to give him some scheme touches. And when Cordell is at running back, they're for sure running the ball. When Mike Davis is playing in the backfield, it's a lot of pass protection stuff. And I think that's like a cool that Mike Davis can do that. 
but just not going to help us for fantasy. Cause you can see right now they are getting the ball to Calvin Ridley. They're getting the ball to Cordero Patterson and they are giving a lot of the balls to freaking miss Mr. Kyle Pitts, who mm-hmm. is now after uh, six career games or seven career games, whatever it is, is leading all rookie tight ends in history and receiving yards ahead of Mike Ditka, who has the current title for most receiving yards as a rookie tight end. So there was a lot of plays where I think that more this time than ever, we saw uh, Kyle Pitts be used as a wide receiver. And then you see that the defenses are starting to treat him as a wide receiver. He was beating Xavier Howard on a couple of these for long touchdowns. He was getting uh, uh, safeties over the top of him and then still coming down with it. And he just, he looks like a freak athlete wide receiver and we get to play in that tight end. I think with the George Kittle injury and some of the other weirdness going on with the 49ers, I think you can make a very compelling argument for Kyle Pitts as a tight end three for the rest of the season. I mean, th- look, that's not, that's not normal. Vertical routes. This that's is not, not normal. A tight end. <laughs> that's not normal. This is not, this is not normal. I think Pat, our buddy, right Pat put out a tweet that said of Kyle Pitts, seven catches this afternoon, the shortest went for 11 yards and five went at least 20 yards. Yeah. I mean, like you say, like you said, this is not normal. And I think this helps more than anyone. Matt Ryan, who last season was second in the NFL in 20 plus yard attempts so far this season, I think he was around 30th in the NFL in that mark. We expected Calvin really to dominate in the area because he did it last year. Calvin really four catches, 26 yards and one touchdown on 10 targets. We'll get to him in a moment. Hopefully you have more on that. But Kyle Pitts is just someone that you put out there who is credited at a certain position with different personnel groupings. And you can just use him differently than anyone else in the league. Travis Kelsey's amazing. Darren Waller's amazing, but they aren't quite used in this facet from these different alignments. So it's just a constant mismatch over and over and over again. Yeah. I, I think that he's a, a mini Darren Waller and he, his ceiling is just higher than Darren Waller. If you just like throw in the draft cap, but this is, a can't miss prospect. It's already obvious. Like he, he might be an all pro this year. That's how, that's how good he looks right now to me. Um, as for Calvin Ridley, very cool design on his touchdown where he was coming across the offensive line behind the offensive line and found space for a touchdown. He also got rocked in the second half on like a little bit of a hospital ball there. Um, the fact that he got 10 targets is positive. I wouldn't read into why he only had 26 yards. Like we just talked, like we talk about every single week, good players, have bad games. This is the NFL. So I think that the, Cal- the fact that Calvin Ridley got to 10 targets is good news. And the fact that Matt Ryan looks much better the last couple weeks yep. than he did the first couple games is positive for Calvin Ridley. So we'll go back and watch it to make sure that he doesn't look like out of sorts, but uh, he wasn't on the injury report or anything like that. So I think that he's just still a, a positive regression candidate. Talk to me about the Miami Dolphins and namely to a tongue of Iloa because I see two interceptions and I saw it on Twitter that a lot of people freaked out. But then I see the rest of the box score, 32 of 40, highly efficient, 291 yards and four touchdowns. I see the dots. I see the targets. It's really efficient. It's no Will Fuller. It's no Devontae Parker. I know like Isaiah Ford got one of his touchdowns, Mike Kosicki, and I know Jalen Waddle left for a period of time as well. I think overall, outside of, you know, seemingly two really bad decisions, probably when he was pressing, it certainly looks and appears like Tua did his best to win this game against a defense that he should have done. Yeah, 91st percentile completion percentage over expected. And this is like we talked about coming into this is the accuracy is his, that's his go to trait. And it's always been like that going back to Alabama. But the A dot is only at six yards today. And basically, the Dolphins run a conservative trickery RPO offense yeah. and everything was just a, a slant. And like if you just look at it, you can just tell exactly where the slants are. And the checkdowns underneath. And at a certain point, you have to see more than that. So this was a good game for Tua. A couple really bad interceptions. Um, but he also got some help from Mike Kosicki, who looked like a complete alpha in the red zone. And a lot of these, we have to remind ourselves, this was at home against the freaking Falcons. So um, I don't know. Like this was a game where it's like, this is like classic Tua. You can see how this could work. But a lot of this is just like shotgun RPO quick slant. And I don't know. I don't know where that takes you. Well, takes you to one and six. A Damian Harris fumble away from being 0 and 7. Next week it's the Bills, then the Texans, then the Ravens. 
I mean, there's massive discussions going on with the Miami Dolphins right now. It's it's a team that rebuilt for years, and then all of their assets are now with this team and like with this roster and with it built in this way, with a coach that seemingly got more out of his team when they had less. And now there's even buzz and murmurs that he has lost the locker room in some situations. And so when they, he had the respect and him and Chris Greer to now the owner probably wanting to step in and, and do something like, I, I feel like the story of the Dolphins season isn't over. And like this week could be a big week. And the name that springs to mind is Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Lots of reports coming out of different sources and about maybe the Panthers might be involved. The Dolphins are certainly involved. It seems like the Texans are now listening and the fact that we're getting all these reports kind of tells me that like maybe they are just debating the exact assets that are going to exchange hands here. So I'm not going to be surprised at all if we come on this YouTube channel going live with uh, Deshaun Watson breaking news from the NFL's perspective. They do not want to set the precedent of putting somebody on the commissioner's exemplist that hasn't been charged with the crime or that their investigation is not complete. So that's the big thing why he hasn't been on the exemplist. And we had a couple reports come out today from both NFL Network and ESPN saying that if Deshaun Watson does get traded before the November 2nd deadline, that he could be active and he will not go on the commissioner's exemplist. And this is all about just Goodell not wanting to set a new precedent of putting somebody on the list over allegations when they can't even talk to a lot of these people. So that's where you could see Deshaun Watson possibly play in November and December. Um, we have no idea what these teams know, what Deshaun Watson's leaking. We don't know where these right. sources are coming from, but the fact that there's this much smoke tells me that there's, I think that now we should feel more and more speculative that this actually could come down. Right. I think it's much closer now than it ever has been. And I understand people that get frustrated by these conversations because it seems to sprout up every couple of weeks. Uh, always want to reiterate that there are two, 22 civil cases against Deshaun Watson right now. Uh, I don't think that there have been any criminal charges at this time, obviously. There's criminal investigations, but not right. nothing's been charged. I believe there are 10 criminal investigations out there as well. Okay. With that said, and that's really, really important to say. Things change, and namely with the Dolphins. And we're going to talk about this if the trade ever goes through. Be sure to come to this channel immediately because we'll have massive conversation on it. But things change in season. So while Chris Greer, Brian Flores could have had the responsibility and the trust of the owner because they have outperformed the final rebuild in the past and, you know, what happened last season. When you go one and six – Things change. Same thing, Hayden, with the Carolina Panthers, right? Yep. A team that started three and three, or excuse me, three and zero, oh, that are now three and four, just getting demolished. And we'll get to this game in a moment. Who were and have been in for every single quarterback since Matthew Stafford, others, and even Deshaun Watson. Plenty of buzz that the Panthers were in for Deshaun Watson before the allegations hit. So where are we at right now? And I think you laid it out really well where the NFL doesn't want to set a precedent. But what we do know is that no matter what, an owner is going to have a heavy hand in all of these decisions. So it's not just a general manager acting on his own or a head coach or so on and so forth. And so while it's us on the outside, and I, I, I never thought that Deshaun could play this, this season, but so many national writers and and media networks are saying that that's probably going to be the case when that happens. That to me, that fuels that, you know, the Texans, John McClain saying this, they basically want the best offer out there. And it sounds like it's three first round picks and two second round picks. And they're not going to take anything less than that, that they probably will not. I think there's two things that have happened. They're going to get everyone's best offer during the trade deadline week. And that's, what's going to be, or the, the Miami Dolphins already have the best trade offer out there and they're trying to drum up interest from all these other teams and then boom. But then the other wrench in here is Deshaun Watson's no trade clause. So on some level too, he gets to decide, but obviously he would rather play anywhere other than with the Houston Texans because he's forcing himself out as well. Yeah. And Deshaun wants to go to Miami. So I think that like Miami, 
I think the Houston is like, may, might be leaking. Like, Hey, maybe the Panthers are interested so they can make sure that the dolphins send them a bunch of assets. So we don't know all the, the details behind the scenes here, but there's a lot of things moving around behind the scenes right now. You can tell like everyone's got a report on this right now. And I think the other missing ingredient here is if it is the Panthers or it is the dolphins, where is Tua and where is Darnold going here? Like, does the Texans want either one of those quarterbacks or either of those guys franchise quarterbacks? If you just look the way that Sam Darnold's playing right now, it's egregious. He shredded the Texans and maybe the, the Texans want Sam Darnold, but in all the other games, he has a negative EPA on average. So it's, it's really bad for, for both the Panthers and the Dolphins. They both went like all in for these quarterbacks and spe- specifically right. the Dolphins they traded away a pick that's currently a top five pick right. next year. They were all in this year, and then it all hell broke loose. So I can see both Tepper and the Dolphins owner fully panicking. And then, like you said, you need ownership approval, number one. The owner has to be sold on the Deshaun Watson stuff. And it seems like these two are the only two teams desperate enough to make a move. Teams don't want to lose. Things change when you see a quarterback out there. And again, this is nothing confirmed, but just in my head, ownership, who Roger Goodell works for, yeah. might have some back-channel communications of they at least will have better insight if Deshaun's going to play this year than we do. I think that yeah. that is fair to say. Um, Panthers, Dolphins, Eagles, three teams most likely involved. All three teams will be in quarterbacks probably besides Deshaun Watson if, if they don't get him as well. I think what you're saying with Sean Warren, good Miami is probably true. Personally, I think maybe the Panther situation is a slightly better one just from a skill position talent standpoint. Um, but losing and not being what you think you want to be will spur action by these owners. And that's where we are. But if you had to ask me right now, and hey, I want to ask you this question. Do you think that this deal gets done before the trade deadline or after the season? Which is more likely right now? I would guess before. there is. Yeah, if you look exactly. at the Schefter glazer mclean the nfl network guys even going into this offseason everybody from the outside was like how the hell is this going to go down like, there's 22 cases going down and all not there's a single reporter that was out there was saying this is for sure not going to happen and that was back then i think that the longer this goes i think that you're just getting the last offers here so i think that's going to go down and i think like just like for fantasy purposes which is like the most the stupidest conversation you could possibly have in all this i think that if you wanted to pick up a deshaun watson a fantasy like i think that that's like reasonable. I think that the, the NFL, like time and time again, it's all about which players are, could be on the field that are just the best for the product. And like, that's just, it's a ruthless leap. Apparently Deshaun rejected the Eagles did not even know that John McClain on top of it. So his preferred destination or the one he's improved so far is Miami and the Panthers are not mentioned here, but as we said, and I know Joe person really well, I know Joe is very connected to the Panthers more than any other franchise out there. And he's saying things change today based on Sam Darnold's play, yeah. based on the trajectory of the last few weeks with Sam Darnold, that they're in this uh, conversation, that they're in this dynamic. And they were, you know, prior to everything happening last offseason in terms of the allegations coming out. So, yeah. so there's a lot to happen here the next week. So Sam Darnold played that bad where the owner might trade for Deshaun Watson. That's how bad he played today. Like that's basically exactly what happened. Well, so the Panthers traded a second round pick next year, which they have already explained based on trade outs from this past draft. I think with the Texans, maybe another team that they've already recouped that second round worthy draft okay. pick. So that was them covering their ass in a future same Darwin meltdown, which we're getting. But you're also getting a $15 million guaranteed money based on his fifth year option. Now, I will say worse quarterbacks have been traded in the past than Sam Darnold because somehow all these quarterbacks still have draft capital. I mean, a team took on Teddy's contract for a sixth-round pick in the draft when it was only one team looking for him. So I think that they maybe could move him for something and get him off the books somehow, yeah. some finagling there. Anyways, what we saw from Sam Darnold today, what we saw from him last week, atrocious. You outlined it. 16 of 25 today, 111 yards, one interception, sacked three times, and was benched, was benched in the fourth quarter for P.J. Walker against one of the worst defenses in the NFL, and the Panthers lose 25-3. to You heard it from Matt Rule, from Joe Brady, that they wanted to establish the run, that they knew that they could not win football games 
when the quarterback was asked to throw the football behind this offensive line. And Hayden, what stood out to me was, yes, was there disruption? Yes. Did Brady Christensen get destroyed by Aziz Ojolari at left tackle? 100% his first start out there. But there were plenty of other times where Sam Darnold was protected, where he was panicking. His eyes were all over the place. Again, his eyes, his shoulders, his feet, his hips, they're all on different planes. And there was even a case of him throwing an intentional grounding in the end zone for a safety. And these plays, I think that the Panthers now realize this, and you and I did at the time, they happened in wins early in the season. And then when you get them in losses, when now they have nine or 10 turnovers, that's when it gets destroyed. And uh, the Panthers season is going directly down the tank when it looked like it was really promising to start. Do you know when you establish the run, you establish the run in this, the second and third round of NFL drafts and like on day three and day four and day five of free agency, that's when you establish run. You don't establish the run all of a sudden on the road in week seven. Like that's just not how this works. So um, very interesting. Chuba Hubbard lost. It looked like a little bit of work uh, to Royce Freeman here. He didn't end up paying off. We don't know. Uh, we're hoping that Christian McCaffrey is back when he does um, return off the injured reserve. And we already got confirmation that Sam Darnold will be the Panthers quarterback for next week. Um, I mean, like the fact that he even has to say that is just like already just. Well, I mean, on some levels, I I know he's not going to say anything else. Like it's not like PJ Walker came in him. He was three or 14. So let's not say like the backup quarterback made anything (laughs) out of this opportunity. But Matt Rule doesn't even have to like go and watch watch the tape immediately. He just says like, Oh, actually Sam's just going to be our starter. That just tells you the situation that they're in. And I think Matt rule is like a really good coach. I think he's actually improved a lot of the players on the team in terms of player development. Can his third down, can his fourth down clock management and situational football be much better? 100%. I think he's still learning the aspect of that game. Um, But in the last two years, quarterbacks that they chased, and Matthew Stafford and Deshaun Watson and others, they've had to settle for Teddy Bridgewater. I even think they chased Justin Herbert, Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. And so no matter what, the possibilities of what could have been, who cares? Only you and the people in your building and your owner know those. For those of us on the outside, you should not be losing 25 to 30 to the New York Giants after what you showed earlier in the season. And it's not just a Christian McCaffrey problem. It's the offense that you're putting out there. And in fact, it might be a little bit of a Joe Brady problem. Yeah. And this Giants team was missing Andrew Thomas, Sterling Shepard, everyone, Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, Canarius Tony, and some other guys that were quitting because of the, the offseason um, sprints from Joe Judge. So, like, this was as bad as it gets for the Panthers. So, yeah. yeah. Desperate people make desperate decisions. I'm very curious to see what Tepper is going to do here. And still, Robbie Anderson, nine targets, three receptions, 14 yards, a couple more drops in there, but. A lot of the targets just aren't catchable. A lot of them just aren't in positive situations. Speaking about running hot in wide receivers, he's running ice cold. And I don't know how you get a wide receiver back uh, in terms of having confidence in himself when it's a bad team, when it's a bad team. On the Giants, and there's really nothing to say. I mean, former like first and second round picks and, you know, Dante Pettis gets 39 yards in a score. John Ross gets 27 yards. Devontae Booker goes out there and gets – you know, a game clinch and I think 19 yard score and Daniel Jones's athleticism played a part in here. It was funny because the giants were calling plays as if they had the most athletic quarterback out there. And while Daniel Jones is athletic, he's not Lamar Jackson and he was getting a beating at times, some major, major hits out there, but uh, just two sacks behind, you know, a broken offensive line and I don't no turnovers, no turnovers by him as well, which is a huge step forward based on Daniel Jones from, from last week. There we go. Uh, when you talk about Washington Green Bay, I guess we ask some questions here since neither of us watched it. Hayden, Aaron Rodgers, 27-35, three scores. Just so little rushing from the Packers. That's my question for them. 19 yards from Aaron Jones. Six yards from A.J. Dillon. Obviously, Devontae Adams or Robert Tunney and Alan Lazard all find the end zone, but I want to figure out why the rushing attack evaporated from the Packers in the game that you won by 14 points. It was so humiliating. I've talked about the Aaron Jones splits with him, with Devontae Parker and without Devontae Parker, the week where he had those like three or four goal line touchdowns. But outside of that, like the split still remained the same. It's yeah. He's just not getting the ball as much as like a classic RB one. Like obviously this offense is just so efficient that it usually doesn't matter for Aaron Jones, but 
he does touch the ball a lot fewer times than like someone like Zeke Elliott. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I saw Terry McLaurin make a ridiculous 40 yard touchdown. Taylor Heineke was trying to do his game breaking playmaking type stuff. And it worked in some ways. In fact, he was their leading rusher with 95 yards on, uh, on 10 carries. The Packers are another one of those teams that might improve as they go along with, you know, Elton Jenkins playing his natural spot and David Bakhtiari playing left tackle. Okay. I guess now Hayden, we jump to the four o'clock window. Should we start? There were no close games at all, but let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning 38 to three over the Chicago bears. Which side do you want to start on the positives or my, oh my, what do we have with Matt Nagy and Justin Fields and that dynamic? Let's talk Justin Fields, zeroth percentile EPA, zero, zero percentile. This might have been like one of the worst games of all time. And he did that with a 46 percentile completion percentage over expected, which tells you he at least can throw with NFL accuracy. But his decision making is so bad and the offensive line is so bad that it doesn't matter. And I think we're all going to point fingers at Matt Nagy. But like the reality of the situation is, is Justin Field is like basically picking a coin flip and looking to the right or looking to the left. And half the time he's wrong right now. And until that gets fixed, it just it's not going to matter how good of a thrower he is. It's not going to matter how athletic he is. And I just hope that he can stay healthy because like he's taking really big hits to people that he's not even seeing coming. And yeah. a lot of them were on like the right tackle was just like Olay, and then same thing with Jason Peters a little bit too. But a lot of this is just like strictly just. Justin Fields isn't ready. So the the discussion becomes when you have a rookie quarterback like this, is this helping his long-term trajectory to learn on the job? Or is this a detriment to like, is he going to lose his confidence, all that stuff? I'm usually on the side, go figure it out. We're, you're, we're going to roll you out there. But at like a certain point, like he can't be getting hit this many times. And a lot of that is just because of Justin Fields, not the play calling, not the offensive line. A lot of this is just strictly Fields. I will say I think it's like the worst possible combination to put him with Matt Nagy, who's not like making life easier on him. And you would think someone with Matt Nagy and his history with Mitchell Trubisky, where you can make things and at least try to develop someone to make things easier on them early on. I think it's a perfect storm of a lot of issues, though. What I just outlined with maybe the play caller not putting his players in a position to succeed obviously starting Jason Peters and whoever else at right tackle and not having exactly the offensive line that you want out there, but also a quarterback that like, if he had a major negative coming out of school and what we saw maybe during the preseason was not necessarily understanding where pressure was going to come from pre-snap. And when you're getting, you know, a Bucks defense, a Bucks defense that has not been nearly as good as it was last season, but pass rushers and Jason Pierre Paul and Shaq Barrett, and Joe Tryon and all these other names. When your quarterback is a tick late, which every single time I saw, you know, Justin Fields fumble, get his arm hit, or, you know, these interceptions, throwing three of them on just 32 attempts. It was a perfect storm of, of terrible. And it's frustrating, Hayden, because like, yes, we got 32 passing attempts. And yes, even last week, there were like two drives where Fields showed that awesome ability to hit, you know, passes along the left sideline with touch to Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney and so on and so forth. We're not getting those stacked games. There's that, the stack series right now. And that's, that's worrisome. That is worrisome. And, and especially when, you know, we're three or four games into, into the bears, but I should say it's, it's Bill Lazor's offense, I guess. And not necessarily Matt Nagy too, which is another dynamic from this season. That's a small microcosm of it. One positive Khalil Herbert, a hundred yards looked great again. So he's, he's a legit player and he played over Damian Williams who barely, or I'm not even sure if he did practice a single time this week, but Khalil Herbert's like a long-term player for the bears. Like he's going to be David Montgomery's insurance for the foreseeable future. He looked really good again for, the Buccaneers, I mean, this was a absolute layup. Tom Brady get a 600th career touchdown. Uh, Akeem Nix was out, so you got a good game from Leonard Fournette. You had Mike Evans winning in multiple ways on slants, We winning down the sideline, jump balls, the whole thing going. Chris Godwin just felt – oh, no, he got it late. I wrote down because the game hadn't finished that he had 96 yards, and I was going to complain about it because he was my Benji of the week. But he clears. <laughs> he gets eight for 111-1, and one, so throw it up as a W. For me, yeah, this is just 
Tom Brady now on pace for 51 touchdowns. We know what we're getting from the Bucs. Just start everybody. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Fournette, again, remains in that Daryl Henderson tier of someone that can uh, that can help win new leagues. That's for sure. Okay. Let's jump to the Detroit Lions and the LA Rams. Obviously, the Rams win this one. A little more difficult than they expected, 28-19. to 19. But Hayden, the start of this game was a Dan Campbell, I'm going to grab your balls and try to beat you in a slugfest. It was a third nine, 70-yard touchdown pass to DeAndre Swift. That was just, it, it was a perfectly called screen pass that, you know, he broke through the defense and you got there. They followed up with an onside kick, which they get. That was their first snap with the lead all season long that they got after that onside kick. And they fake a punt to create another first down, and they go up and kick a field goal. So they're up 10 to nothing, so a 10-point hole for the Rams. Then after that, obviously, the Rams put up 28 points. Never thought this game was that close, even though it only turned into a a nine-point victory. But I think what we're seeing, we've always seen that Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup have a really strong connection. We've seen other elements emerge from there. Obviously, Daryl Henderson gets 45 rushing yards, but mainly it was Robert Woods creating – difficult receptions in between the twenties and especially over the middle of the field. And then we got Matthew Stafford in the first touchdown, trusting Van Jefferson on the left sideline, going up and getting it in a contested catch, high pointing the football. That's another element here. And we even saw a, a misthrow to Sean Jackson that we're seeing the evolution of the Rams offense as we go along. Such a complete offense. I mean, downfield passing over the middle, run the ball, got a tight end that can move. It's just a complete offense. Um, from the Lions, my brother DM'd me right before the kickoff said, should I start Brandon Ayuk or Khalif Raymond? And we went with Khalif Raymond for six for wow. 115. That's a W for us. Shout out to Winxes. Wow. Yeah, Swift, 96 yards in a score in the air, 48 yards on the ground on 13 carries. Jamal Williams is still a really good runner, 57 yards on the ground for him. There were a couple plays that, I mean, the narrative going into this game was Jared Goff versus Matthew Stafford. There was one when, you know, Matthew Stafford lowered his arm angle, a, a, a hole creates, defender running straight at him, hits, I believe, I believe it was Robert Woods as like a sidearm while on the move. I'm like, there's another play, shows in this game why he's a difference on this team yeah. versus versus the Lions. Okay. One last note, Jay Glazer in the pregame, you have to, the pregame Sunday morning, Jay Glazer is the, the best. best reporting there ever is. Cause he's like, I'm going to go to the gym and then I'm going to come in and knock out every best beat report that you can possibly ever imagine. This one, he said that uh, when Sean Navey called Jared Goff to tell him that he was being traded, that uh, Jared Goff, Goff hung, up on him. hung up on him. And then when they sat next to each other at a restaurant a couple weeks later, and they hadn't talked before that time, like they had like, Go say like, hey, what's up? So yeah, there's like legit beef going on, and yeah, I think that Sean McVay alphaed them with with the move for for Matthew Stafford. Awkward turtle, awkward turtle. Okay, Philadelphia Eagles, Las Vegas Raiders. Break this one down for us, Hayden, because at least from the outside looking in, while Derek Carr took a step this season, dare I say that the Raiders' offense might have even taken a step further without John Gruden calling the plays, and because he and Greg Olson, Derek Carr, right now are on another level because, again, they put up 30 points in the first three quarters and really 30 points in the second and third quarters combined. Derek Carr was 31 of 34. 31 of 34. And, yeah. And that includes an interception. Yeah, he's just he's just a baller. Like, he, he's a totally different quarterback. He's, he's way more aggressive. And I think one of the storylines, or a couple of them, Josh Jacobs leaves with a chest injury. Kendrick uh, um, Kenyon Drake comes in for 69 yards. A touchdown was involved in the past game just a tiny bit. And then you saw Foster Moreau with Darren Waller um, ruled out. Foster Moreau, like early in the game, put him on the, in the slot. He had an inline touchdown where it's just basically he had a moss his defender one-on-one. He looks really good. Like he Foster Moreau, I think, is kind of like on that like Cameron Brate, OJ Howard, where it's just like that's a that's a starting tight end that just happens to be behind an elite tight end. So um, we'll see how long Darren Waller's out. But if Darren Waller is out, you're seeing a little bit of a Foster Moreau emergence here. He had six for 60 and a touchdown here. So um, pretty cool storyline for Foster Moreau. Look at all, I mean, left and middle of the field, all green. Derek Carr. Man, I, I know that's the Eagles defense. People can say, oh, they give points to everyone, all that kind of stuff. Still, 
NFL players at the peak of their game, at the top of their game, getting paid to do this. And look what Derek Carr is doing in terms of slicing the field. And that's without Darren Waller, like you mentioned. Incredible stuff. We do know that Josh Jacobs left at this game with a chest injury. Um, so in his absence, Kenyon Drake gets 14 carries. We've been down this road before. Um, yeah. I don't even know what to say about the Eagles because also Miles Sanders left this game after Miles Sanders was basically given the running back spot over the last few weeks. And what stood out to me, Hayden, is even without Miles Sanders, Kenny Gainwell wasn't the one to lead the team in carries. After that, it was Boston Scott with seven for 24 and a score. Kenny Gainwell fumbled. That's why. And he's really small and he fumbled running up the middle and he just got it stripped from him. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be interesting what the Eagles do if Miles Sanders, who rolled his ankle and got carted off. His injury looked way more worrisome than Josh Jacobs' injury. Um, but it looks like maybe it's going to be Boston Scott as the Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell remains Kenny Gainwell. Coming in, like just from, from a like a dynasty perspective, Kenny, Kenny Gainwell is a fine player. But when you're that small... It's just tough to have like ceiling outcomes, especially in this offense. Because Jalen Hurts, I mean, does this guy ever throw it not to the right side of the field? Like this is like got to be historic levels of bailing out to the right and throwing it underneath to the right side. It's every single week. This every, is the same every one. single week. It's it's climbing the pocket, escaping to the right, and firing short or firing it long. Sixty four percent of his passes through the first few weeks of the season, I haven't charted it since. But maybe that's something that we do for the Tuesday show because this it. is unreal. This I've, never is seen, I've never seen anything I've, like it. I've never seen it, too. It's limiting. I mean, the OC, the play caller is limiting him. He's limiting it. And then you get fourth quarter bonanza with uh, with fancy points. I will say in his first game as like the only tight end on the team, Dallas Goddard gets three receptions for 70 yards. Devontae Smith also gets five receptions for 61 yards. Okay. You you play with 10 players on the field when Jalen Rager's out there. He's just... It's just not happening. He had a jump ball, but he literally is out there full time and he never gets any yards. Yeah. Arizona Cardinals improved to seven and oh, we'll close with this game 31 to five over the Houston Texans. It actually wasn't easy. Wasn't pretty necessarily for Kyler Murray. I mean, the first drive, he took two straight sacks to start the game. There were other times he got clotheslined, got to go into a blue medical tent for a little bit, but man, oh man, we got the full array of Kyler Murray plays in this game. I wish I could outline all of them for you. I'll, I'll, I'll highlight a few, a third and 24 perfectly pass protected around him throws an absolute hole shot while staying super patient in the pocket. Think about that. If you had all the skills that Kyler has with his feet, you say, no, I'm going to wait it out and wait for that little window. And boom, it's a beautiful pass to, you know, drag your toes, AJ green for 41 yards down deep on the right sideline. Um, then there was a third and I think two where he was able to scramble around a play where he absolutely should have been sacked and then finds a 15 yard pass to DeAndre Hopkins as well. Another situation where he basically runs 30 or 40 yards in the back field and then picks up another five yards down the field. I mean, he's just a different player. He breaks the mold and on the day again, 20, 28, 261, three touchdowns. And one interception. And dare I say, the over route to Zach Ertz, where he picks up yards after the catch. Zach Ertz was majorly featured in this game with five targets, three receptions, and 66 yards. Yeah, he's basically a slot receiver. That's going to complicate things for Rondell Moore, who only had two receptions here. So, very, very deep offense everywhere. You're getting stuff from James Conner all of a sudden. I mean, I see 6.4 yards per carry and a touchdown here. So, a lot of those light. But yeah, yeah no, I'm I mean, sure. that, that's they exactly what it is. And yeah, it's he just had, uh, everywhere. I, I believe it was an 18-yard touchdown run, too. So that is – the backfield is perfect at the moment. While the top two talents, we'd never mention them among the top 25 running backs in the NFL, potentially. Sure. It works perfectly for them. And, yeah, I think the segment – because you and I do you know, a start-sit show every single Sunday morning, and we get Rondell more questions every single Sunday. Like you said, the Zach Ertz fit in this offense does take – because Christian Kirk is still owning the middle of the field. DeAndre Hopkins on the left, AJ Green on the right, and Rondell, when he's in, he'll get the ball. But in a game like this, it was never meant for it. It was never opposite opposite side of the ball. Tyrod Taylor might be coming back very soon. If you can buy low on Brandon Cooks, or if you're in a deep league and you want to pick up Nico Collins, those guys are out there as full time players, and things will get better. Tyrod Taylor is infinitely better than Davis Mills, so um, just the only two guys that you need to, to care about in Houston. Not a spike week for Brandon Cooks. 
Seven targets, five receptions, 21 yards. It's okay. tough out there with Mills. <laughs> it is. It is very tough. A couple more things. I failed to mention the first game that we talked about with the Baltimore Ravens, how great Mark Andrews was. Uh, he was picking up chunk yards after chunk yards. I know it was only three receptions for 48 yards, but it felt like 24, 12, 15, over and over and over again. There was a full drive that was basically just Mark Andrews. And Rashad Bateman had three catches for 80 yards on six targets. A lot of deep overs for him as well, getting him on the move over the middle of the field. And he was heavily involved. Before we get out of here, Hayden, put Mac Jones in perspective. How many quarterbacks that are rookies would you take over him this year? For the, Based off of just this year's performance, I would go Trevor Lawrence 1, Mac Jones 2, a massive gap than the rest of them. Moving forward, that's when it's, it's harder to get there. Whatever gap you had coming in, it needs to be sh- shorter. I was on team Mac Jones QB3 coming into this year ahead of – I went Lawrence, Fields, Mac, Lance, Wilson. I feel very good about that. Like I'm, That's where I'm at. Trey Lance has the potential to go crazy. But you, what you're seeing in these small school guys, it's – Going to the NFL, it's not it's not a it's not a cakewalk. So we'll see. Yeah, the the balance that we saw from Mac Jones today and really Josh McDaniels of that offense of throwing in runs, of throwing in you know light personnel, and then throwing in trick plays as well. It, it it's growing and it's evolving. And they face the Chargers and the Panthers on the road in the next two games for them. So that'll be fun. Freaking Pages didn't even have to trade up for Mac Jones. <laughs> you know, like that just like makes That's it not, yeah yeah yeah. You know, like it just falls right to their lap. I hear. All right, everyone, we're going to get out of here. Scampers, Ridley, Pablo, Zodat, Ming Han, Wallace, all you beautiful people. I appreciate you all being here. If you are new, like and subscribe to the channel. We're on the road to 10,000 subscribers. We'll be back on Tuesday with a tremendous show, watching all the games, scraping all the data, looking at all the analytics to spot breakouts before they happen. And if a Deshaun Watson trade happens before then, we'll be live here on this very channel. So for Hayden Winks, I am Josh Norris. Up the fella. Talk to y'all soon. See you.